Well, friends, I'll never forget when I was a boy, probably about six or seven years old, and I have a cousin that's six months older than me. His name is Gary, and uh, he got saved as an adult and is, uh, lives in Florida, and he's a deacon in his Southern Baptist church there, but he wasn't raised in a church at all. Anyhow, Cousin Gary I thought was cool because even as a kid, he listened to rock and roll music, and he wore cool t-shirts and stuff like that. Well, we are visiting one time because I grew up in Texas. My cousin grew up just a few miles from our grandparents in Pennsylvania. And my grandfather was a superintendent of a, a large dairy farm. And so I'm the city kid, right, growing up in suburban Fort Worth, Texas, and I go out there, and my cousin's kind of a city kid too, a steel mill sit-town kid, but we meet together at my grandfather's farm, and after all the stuff, you know, getting kisses from grandma and hanging out with grandpa a little bit, us two boys decide we're going to go into mischief together. I mean, that's what you do, right? Your boys, it's a farm, there's a barn, there's cows, and you know, so after a while of disturbing the cattle... We found ourselves in the barn. And my cousin said to me, Hey, man, upstairs is the hayloft. And see, down here is where they threw it out of the top down here. We can go up there and jump off onto this part. I was like, That sounds cool. So up we go, you know, through the stairs and we get up there. And of course, it's big and, you know, all the hay's stacked in there and so on. And, and, and we come to that hole in the ceiling and you look down and there's the And I'm thinking, maybe this isn't such a good idea. You know, when you look at it from down to up, you're like, oh, I can do that. But when you get up there and you see, yes, there's hay right there, and it's probably going to be fine, but I'm not so sure about that. So my cousin's like, you go first. I'm like, uh, you know, you know, I, I've never done this before. You know, I, I'm, um, you've done it before. Uh, you live here. Um, you show me how to do it. So after a little wrangling back and forth, my cousin jumps off onto what's supposed to be the mound of hay, but he jumped a little too far. I mentioned it was a dairy barn, right? Concrete floors. Yeah. He landed in a crumpled mess, and I heard, he broke his arm. I decided it wouldn't be best to jump after him, that I would run down back the other way and get him back to the house, and that was the end of playing with Cousin Gary that day. There's a couple different types of learning in our life, and social psychologist Albert Bandura coined the phrase, vicarious learning. That's when you observe someone else doing something and you say, oh, I should do like them. Or maybe it's a negative situation and you go, oh, no, I should not do like that. Now, nowadays, more commonly vicarious learning is the type of thing you do every Sunday when I preach. It's you listen and you say, yeah, that's wise. I should act that way. Or no, that's unwise. I shouldn't act that way. It's indirect rather than hands-on. And more specifically, what we would call observational learning is when you observe the behavior of another and you say, this is good or that's bad and I'm not going to do that. That's why, you know, sometimes the second child or the third child in the family doesn't seem to get in as much trouble as the first child. If they're smart enough, they observe the older children and they say, I'm not going to do what got them in trouble. Just like I didn't jump out of the hayloft like my cousin Gary. And so when we consider a passage of Scripture, like we're going to read here in a minute, with Philip. And yes, I know I got a weird word in there, but I did it on purpose. How Philippy am I? 
I want us to learn from Philip by observational learning and saying, okay, here's where he was at. Here's the situation he was confronted with. Here's how he responded. And here's what happened. And what can I learn from that? And are there situations in my life that God has put me in? And I'm not Philip, but, you know, I'm Aiden, or I'm Brad, or I'm Cheryl, or I'm Sue. And in my life, how can God use me right where I'm at? So I would ask you, if you're able to stand, please stand with me in the honor of reading God's Word. And we'll read this passage of Scripture And it is Acts chapter 8, verse 26 through 40. Acts chapter 8, verse 26 through 40. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, and on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship and was on his way home, was sitting in his chariot, reading the book of Isaiah, the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. When Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah, the prophet, do you understand what you are reading, Philip asked? How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. The eunuch was reading the passage of Scripture. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before the shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, Tell me, please, who's the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of Scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. Verse 35, as they traveled along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, here's water. Why shouldn't I be baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then they both, Philip and the eunuch, went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly looked took Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared at Azotus and traveled about preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. May God add to the reading of his word. You can be seated. So you've got this curious story. There's a few things about it that make us go, hmm, I mean, miraculous, odd, strange, and we're going to get there. But let's first take a look at who was Philip. So on your outline, who was Philip? Now, if you go back in Acts, you're in Acts chapter 8, so maybe you just have to look across the page or turn a page back to the left. You see in Acts chapter 6, the choosing of the seven deacons. These are the first deacons. Why did they need deacons? Well, in the church, the nascent church there in Jerusalem, there was... Jewish ladies, and then there was Hellenistic or Grecian Jews. So they were people that were born Greek but chose to follow the Jewish religion. And those folks felt discriminated against in the service of food, so uh, they rightfully so made a complaint. And the complaint was heard by the leaders of the church that said, You know what? We've got to give our time and attention to preaching and teaching. We need someone else to help do this ministry, this work of the church. And that's why we established the office of deacons. So even today, our deacons serve, and they serve in a symbolic way today with the Lord's Supper, but they are available to serve you. And look at the result in Acts chapter 6, uh, verse 7. As the church came together and different people did the roles God 
had intended them. So the word of God spread, and the numbers of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. When we serve as God calls us to serve, each of us doing our own part, God is going to bless and the church is going to grow. We should expect that. Now, if you turn to chapter 8, you see uh, the scattering of the church based on persecution. So Acts chapter 8, look at verse 1. It says, on that day a great persecution broke out against the church and Uh, All except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly man buried Stephen and so on. But look at verse 4. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. And then we get the story of Philip. So Philip fleeing from persecution in Jerusalem because they're Christians and the Jewish people are uh, persecuting the Christians. It says in verse 5, he went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Christ there. So he went down to Samaria, down the hill, uh, not down uh, as far as south, and he went and preached. And notice verse 6 and 7. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the miraculous signs he did, they paid close attention. Verse 7, with shrieks, evil spirits came out of many, and many paralytics and cripples were healed. So there was great joy in that city. Do you hear this? So this is a dude that's ordained as a deacon in his church, set aside, But then when persecution comes to the church, this guy says, hey, man, i got to get out of Dodge. I'm going to save my life. But God used that persecution to move people out. You know, there's a thing called negative preparation. Sometimes God allows negative events in our life. Sometimes he even causes negative events in our life so that we will let go of where we're at and go to where he wants us to go. And in the case of the persecution of the church there in Jerusalem, he scattered believers all over so that they would take everything they were learning and their obedience and their love for Jesus and share it with others. And that's what Philip did. Philip did it with such power and had the Holy Spirit so much in him that Evil spirits were coming out. People were being healed. I mean, it was crazy. No wonder the Samaritans were listening to Philip because he had this power. Then there's this instance that I'm not going to preach about, but just comment on. uh, Verse 9 through 25, where Simon the sorcerer, this guy had power to cast spells or to do things like Philip did. But he knew that even Philip's power was real or better or stronger than his. And he says to Philip, hey man, how can I get some of this? It says he's a believer in Jesus, but then he wanted to buy it and there's all kinds of mess going on there. So we won't deal anymore with Simon. And so from Samaria, where Philip has had this amazing opportunity to share the gospel, to preach, to do miracles, God says to him where we pick up in verse 26. I don't know about you, I haven't had an angel appear to me before. I mean, I've read scripture. I felt like God has clearly spoke to me. There's been once or twice in my life where I thought to myself, I wonder if that person was an angel. But you know, it's not like they had wings. And it's not like they announced themselves as like, I'm an angel of the Lord. You better listen to me. You know, it wasn't like that or anything. It was just they did something for me that was so opportune and so amazing that when they left, I went, whoa. There's an opportunity in South Africa where I gave an elderly couple a ride on a dark road uh, uh, late on a Sunday night. And as they were getting out of my car, they said to me, are you an angel? I said, no, I'm exactly what I told you I was. I'm a missionary. I'm just from America. And I talk funny. You know, Uh, they said, we're sure you're an angel. I said, no, I can assure you I'm not an angel. Uh, here's where I work. You can come see me tomorrow and you'll find out I'm not an angel. Talk to the people that know me. They will tell you I'm not an angel. 
But an angel appears to the Lord, or to Philip, and he gives him some very specific instructions. Go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. Now, what you don't know, and I'm about to tell you, is there were two major roads that went that way. The one that was used the most went along the coast through the major Philistine cities. And so it was like the interstate, right? It was the one that everybody used because it's closer to the coast. There's more opportunities to stop and stay in bigger cities, and you could eat there. And the other one was like, you know, the U.S. highway uh, or or even the state highway. Uh, Not as traveled, not as busy. So if you just told somebody, go from Jerusalem to Gaza, they would probably take the other road because it was safer and there's more opportunities. But the angel gives Philip specific instructions, and he says, go take that desert road. So here's where we move to your second major point. When I live like Philip. When I live like Philip. And your first sub point there is I am available to serve God. I am available to serve God. So the angel shows up. Philip could have been like, whoa, dude, I'm out of here. Okay, you know, God, you did some miracles through me. That was great. But when an angel shows up and give me direction to go somewhere, I'm out. I'll just stay here in Samaria, God. Samaria is cool. People like me because I'm doing miracles. I'm a popular guy. All is going well. No, he's available to serve. He's available in verse 26. Look at verse 29. The Spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. It wasn't geography that's the issue here. It's God's glory. And God's glory is going to be revealed through our obedience. And our obedience starts with our availability. Are we in a posture, a mindset that says, wherever he leads, I'll go. Are we in a state of mind that says, here I am, Lord, send me. And Philip was of that mind. It's your availability, friends, not so much your ability that determines your usefulness. Are you available that God can use you to do something that you wouldn't imagine? It's not so much your potential as your willingness. Because you can have all the potential of the world and sit at home on the couch with the remote control, right? What are you going to do with the potential, the ability, the breath, the strength The mind that God has given you. It may not be the strongest, but it can be the most determined. It may not be the smartest, but it can be the most studious. It may not be the most gifted, but it can be the most hardworking. Scripture is replete with examples of this. Think about Abraham. Go to the land I'm showing you. Think about Isaiah. Here I am. Send me. Think about Jesus to the first disciples. Come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Think about Jesus to all of us. Go and make disciples of all nations. Think about Jesus to all of us. As the Father sent me, so I send you. It's our availability and the faith that backs it up. When I live like Philip, I'm being Philippi, I'm available to God. So, can you determine today, right now, not put it off, that you're going to be available to God? That you're going to be in the posture, the mindset that says, God, I'll serve. I'll go wherever you call me to go. 
When someone asks you to consider something, where rather than avoiding the knee-jerk no or the sanctified, I'll pray about it, which really is you are already made up your mind, no, I'm not going to do it. I just don't want to tell them no right now. That you'd consider it prayerfully with the mind of, am I available? Will I serve? Availability is amazing because it's the first step to opening up what God can do. Let's look at the next one. I am obedient to follow God. When I live like Philip, not only am I available to serve God, but I'm obedient to follow God. So when God says go, I go. When God says do, I do. When God says speak, I speak. So he followed him, verse 27. So he started out, and on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in the treasury of the uh, charge of Candace. So there's a couple miraculous things that happen here. We've got to go on. Uh, let, let, let's finish. And on his way... He, home, he was sitting in a chariot reading a book of Isaiah. So the spirit told Philip, go up to that chariot and stay near it. Do you hear what happens here? So this Ethiopian treasurer, an official, a wealthy person, he's sitting in a chariot reading a scroll. That means he's a wealthy guy. Somebody else is driving the chariot. It's big enough for him to have a seat in it. And not only that is he's from Ethiopia and he's a follower of Judaism That's a miracle in itself. And then he has a scroll. That's a miracle in itself. And then the miracle we all get hung up on, the fact that Philip has the ability to run alongside the chariot. Now, I don't know how many horsepower the chariot had, literally how many horses or how big, or I don't know any of that. But we could say that it's a bit miraculous. I mean, you don't normally expect a man to be able to run beside a chariot and then have a conversation with the person riding in the chariot. But that's not the only miracle. The miracle I'm saying is that this Ethiopian eunuch was a follower of Judaism, that this Ethiopian eunuch could take off a month or two at a time to go to worship, that this Ethiopian eunuch had a scroll of Isaiah. It's miracle after miracle after miracle. And so God tells Philip very specifically to go to that road, and God knew that Philip would meet that man because God had a purpose for that man. Some people say that the Ethiopian eunuch was the introduction to Christianity in Africa. And if you know, Ethiopia has even Ethiopian Orthodox Christianity today and is the uh, kind of birthplace of Christianity in Africa. And many folks say it started right here with Philip's obedience to follow God. Verse 30, then Philip ran up to the chariot, heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you are reading? He asked him. Amazing. Philip didn't struggle with God's command. Philip didn't say, I'll pray about it. Philip went. Granted, an angel shows up, maybe we would go too, but maybe we'd come up with some excuses. Maybe we'd run the other way. But Philip obeyed. A pastor friend of mine, Lee Cordell, says this, If you refuse to do what Jesus shows you, seeking more knowledge won't help. Repenting and doing what he's already shown you is the only way. That's how you go deep. There's no other way. We must obey what God's revealed. Some of us today feel like we're just like at this limit in our life. And we keep busting up against this wall and we wonder why we can't get over it, can't get through it, can't get around it. Maybe it's because you've got an obedience issue of something that God's clearly revealed to you that you need to do, something God's clearly revealed to you that is sin, and you need to repent of that sin or you need to do that thing, and then you're going to see God do miraculous things. That's what happened with Philip. He was obedient to follow God. Let's look at our next step. Our next step, I am willing to take time for others. 
If you're living like Philip, you are willing to take time for others. Oh, I did that. I skipped ahead, didn't I? Oh, I'm close to others. Yeah, thank you. He was proximate. Forgive me, I I missed that one in my notes. He was close enough that he could hear what the man was reading. He went where God told him to go, but not only was he in the right place at the right time, but he was paying attention. How many of us pray for something and God answers, but we miss it? You know, uh, I've told you the story before of a time when I was in college and me and some brothers that had a prayer meeting, we were praying for opportunities to share the gospel. And there was one man in particular, uh, another guy at college, another student we were praying for. And I saw him one day sitting all by himself in the snack um, uh, bar at the uh, student center. And I almost walked right by him. Matter of fact, I did. And the Holy Spirit said to me, you yahoo, you've been praying for him. You can go study for that test in a few minutes. Stop yourself, turn around, and sit down and have a conversation with him. And I did. I came back to him. He didn't trust Christ as a Savior that day, but there was some stuff on his mind. I talked with him. I prayed with him. Months later, he trusted Christ as his Savior. God called me to be obedient, I had to be willing to take time to be close to others and to spend myself for others. Let's move on to your next point. And that next point is that I am willing to take time for others. Not only to be proximate or close to them, where you see what's going on and you know that you should be responding, but that you stop and do something about it. That you have the conversation. That you give your time. You give your effort. And so, he said, uh, verse 31, how can I, says the Ethiopian eunuch, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. And he reads the passage of scripture. And then verse 34, the eunuch asked Philip, tell me please who this prophet is talking about. And then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. God rewards those who seek him. Our scripture memory verse for the month that's at the top of your sermon outline tells us to repent, turn. Jeremiah 29, 13 says, You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your hearts. Romans 10, 12 through 15 talks about how can they call unless they've heard? How can they hear unless there's a preacher? How can there be a preacher unless they're sent? 1 Peter three fifteen says, Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you, to give a reason for the hope you have, but do this with gentleness and respect. Your next point on your outline is that I am ready to share the gospel with others. Now this one gets a little tricky for us because we think, man, there's a whole lot about the Bible I don't know. And what if they ask me this question? I don't know how to answer it. That's great. It's great that you've obeyed and it's great that you don't know because guess what? You're going to go find that answer and you'll never forget. Amen? You'll never forget because you remember that you needed it in your desperation for the knowledge, your desperation for the Holy Spirit. And I would tell you, never let your lack of knowledge stop you from sharing the love of Jesus with somebody. Because you can always kindly and gently say to them, man, that's a great question. I'm not quite sure the answer to that one. But I can get back to you on that. And you invite yourself into a second conversation. I think it's better that way. 
if you don't know everything and you're humble and gentle about it. That's what 1 Peter 3.15 says. It says, be prepared to give an answer. It doesn't say have the answer. It's about your ability, your heart, your willingness, and doing it with gentleness and respect and sharing the gospel. Romans 10.17 says, faith comes through hearing and hearing the word of God. We've got to be ready to share the gospel with others. Obedient to God, available to God, obedient to God, proximate, close to others, willing to take time and ready to share the gospel. So let's ask our application question. Considering my Philippiness, the first question is, am I close enough to God that I can hear him? Am I close enough to God that I can hear him? Now, I'm not talking about physical proximity. I'm talking about spiritually in relationship. Can you recognize God's voice over all the other voices clamoring for your attention in your life in our modern day and time? Or do we need to take some time to intentionally turn some things off so that there aren't other voices trying to take our time and attention and don't move us to some opinion or some direction or to sell us something we don't need. Am I close enough to God that I hear Him? Your second question, how do I respond when I hear God's call? How do I respond? In general, how, how do you respond when you hear God's call? I mean, some of us, we're like outright defiant. We're like, nope, not, not going to do it, God. Not going to do it. We're outright defiant. Some of us ignore God. We're like, was that God talking? I didn't hear God. I'm just busy living my own life. Others of us were distracted. You know, we're like, uh-huh, um, yeah, mm-hmm, sure, right, whatever, God. Mm-hmm, yeah, yeah, but we're not paying attention. You know, you've got that from people before. You could say, you're really acting like a jerk, aren't you? And they'd be like, mm-hmm, yeah, yeah mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We treat God like that too. Some of us were willing, but we're timid. And we're like, God, I heard you tell me to do that, but, you know, God, I can't do it for this reason, or I'm shy, or I've got this anxiety I struggle with, and thinking about that really makes me anxious. And you know, the anxiety is real, God. Yes, it is real, but is God trying to teach you to do something, call you beyond yourself? And some of us are willing and ready. When God calls, we say, yes, sir. Where? How long? How far? How much? How do we respond to God's call? Your third question. Am I close enough to others that I can hear them? This may be proximity, but it's also mindfulness. That is my life close enough with the lives of others that I'm around them enough that I recognize them as persons, but I also know them well enough to know their needs. You can tell by the tone of their voice. You can tell by their body language. You can tell by their face. Even though they might say that they're fine, you're like, "Um, no, you're not fine. Let's take a minute and talk about that. Are you close enough that you recognize those things about others That you see when there is a need. And your last question there is, how well do I meet the needs of others?
How well do I meet the needs of others? One commentator I read pointed out something interesting. So look at chapter 8 of Acts in your Bible. Chapter 8 of Acts, you see from verse 4 through verse 8, there's a story like the whole city of Samaria is going nutso about Philip because he's doing these miraculous things. Then you've got verse 9 through verse 25, and it's about Simon the sorcerer and what goes on there, but again, the city is being blessed. But then you've got verses 26 through verse 40, It is about a one-on-one relationship, a one-on-one encounter. Do you think God cares about a whole city? Yes. But do you think even by looking at how many verses in the chapter 8 of Acts, He cares about one-on-one relationships? Absolutely yes. So friends, when we sing a song like, You're the God of the City, and we think about as a church impacting our city, That's great, and we need to do that. We need to pray for our city. But it comes from all of us, one-on-one, in relationship with other people. It's me being close enough to others. It's me paying attention enough to see and meet the needs of others. What am I going to do about it? So we started our sermon today with one question, that is, who is Philip? And we gave you a brief description. But we've got a final one, and that's for you. And that is, who am I? When you consider who you are, who God made you to be, everything you know about yourself, how does that stack up to where you believe God wants you to be? Or who you know God's called you to be? Is there any deficits? Are there any areas you need to confess or surrender in order that you might be the person God has called you to be? Let's pray together. God, our Father, we thank you that you speak to us by your word and that we can learn who you are and how you act and be reminded of who you've called us to be. That you have a vision for our future that goes beyond our today, but it includes us being available to you, obedient to you, close to others, mindful of others, and willing to serve others in your name, and even share a verbal witness of the good news, the gospel of Jesus with others. And God... As we're here, that's our prayer. That would we be obedient to you so that we might become the persons you've called us to be. And Father, that becoming may include surrendering our life to Jesus as our personal Savior and Lord. And I pray that as we stand and sing our song, if anybody's made that decision today, they would come and make that decision known so we can celebrate with them. That may include surrendering ourselves to some ministry, whether we need to do that publicly or just privately in our pew. It may include joining our church family that somebody who's not yet a member would say, I need to unite myself with this church body that I might be more like Jesus through 
the church body and in the church body. Whatever it is, God, would you lead us to obedience now as we come before you in Jesus' name. Amen.